0: We on that haunted ground. Spooked Girls. The Three Spooked
1: Girls. Hey, Spooksters, and welcome back to another episode here on Three Spooked Girls. My name is Tara, and as always, I am here with my ghoul friend, Jessica. Hello. Hello, and today we are talking about the very fucked up case from Australia, Catherine Knight. Now, before we get into that, though, if you would like to hang out with us on social media, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. All of our handles for that is Spooked Girls, and we have an amazing Facebook group. There's all kinds of stuff going on. Wine Wednesdays is about—oh, no, this is May now. Sorry, we're recording early because, you know, moving. My bad. But (laughs) But we're having Wine Wednesdays with Kelly, Ashley. doing our mug exchange in real time right now for us and we have book club and all kinds of fun stuff so definitely check it out if you want to hang out with us more over there and we also have tiktoks those are linked in the link tree as well come hang out with us on that fun app that we all know we all spend hours and hours
0: (laughs) scrolling on so you know
1: (laughs) literally if I need to kill time that's what I fucking do (laughs)
0: when Thomas went and got his like vaccine I was like that just 15 full one minute TikToks and he's like I can do that dude I've thought that way too Oh my god, I
1: love it. So yes, come find us there. I'm Spooky underscore Sleuth and Jessica is Spooky and Jessie. If you would like to support the show, you can join us on Patreon for as little as a dollar gets you one bonus episode a month. Two and up, you get three bonus episodes. Five and up, you get all of that plus video content and we do a monthly live stream for our five and up patrons each month. But before we get into today's content, we are going to take a quick promo break and we will be right back
0: duck blind on Real Foot Lake in northwestern Tennessee becomes the unlikely site of a double homicide. Then the suspect's body is discovered floating in the murky waters nearby to the scene of the crime. Maya Miliete goes missing from Chola Vista after a fight with her husband, leading friends and family to believe he might be involved. Tune in to Murder Murder News, the Listen Edition, every Friday for the biggest true crime cases making headlines each week subscribe to murder murder news the listen edition wherever you listen to podcasts
1: right well welcome back guys we are gonna get into the Catherine knight case which i feel like because the conversation of cannibalism has been kind of disturbing for so i mean it is disturbing but like can be disturbing too disturbing for some people i will give you the heads up if you don't know what this case is there are themes of that in here and that is all i will say and now i'm gonna hand it to jessica for the drink and our stuff because i forgot about the fucking drink i'm sorry
0: it's okay the good thing (laughs) is i was gonna handle the backstory so it was the perfect segue for me to be like yeah So since we're heading to the land down under, we're going to do an Aussie beachcomber, which looks delicious. It's yellowish. Yeah, it's got spiced rum in it. So head over to our Pinterest. Yeah, head over to our Pinterest where all our stuff is. I also like, you know, we have a Pinterest. I don't know if you guys know this. Yeah, we don't do a lot with it, but we have one.
1: Drinks are on there. If you you want
0: us to start doing things on Pinterest, let us know. Mm -hmm. We could put together some stuff, I'm sure.
1: Yes, probably one day, you know. (laughs) Like, I can like
0: a bunch of things into one folder. Like, that I can do. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about Catherine Knight. Okay. A uh, trigger fucking warning. This is not a story that's like, Catherine grew up in a wonderful home and she just turned bad. This is like, Mm. oh, no fucking Mm -mm. wonder. Mm -hmm. Okay, so Catherine Mary Knight was born on October 24th, 1955 to Ken Knight and Barbara Rohan in Tenterfield, New South Wales, Australia. Her home was very, very fucking dysfunctional. Like, which by the way, I have to say this because my biological parents are named Barbie and Ken, or Barbara and Ken. And I just find it interesting that her parents' names are Barbie and Ken or Barbara and Ken, and I'm like, oh God, we are two different people. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> For sure. But just in case anybody else wanted to know that fun fact. Yes, I grew up being tormented that my biological parents' names were Barbie and Kin. And that's what they went by when they met each other. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure their wedding invitation was like Barbara. <laughs> hyphen Barbie. Was it pink? If it had been me planning their wedding, there would have been a lot of pink (laughs) and a lot of Barbie, but I was not alive. Thank God. (laughs) Okay. So her home was very dysfunctional. Her mother, Barbara, at the time around her conception, kind of, was married to another man. Mm. And his name was Jack Rowan, and they had four sons together, and they lived in the town of Aberdeen, which is in New South Wales, Hunter Valley. I don't know where the Hunter Valley is, but I don't know the way they made it sound, it it very beautiful. It said it was like really agriculture and like they have a lot of cattle. Cattle is a big thing there. So you're going to definitely want to think like agriculture-y.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: Just so that I can deal. I keep calling Barbara Babs in my notes. So if I call her Babs, just now I'm talking about Barbara. It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. Okay. <laughs> But, however, Miss Babs had another man on the side, which was Ken Knight, which is Catherine's father. And Ken was a co-worker of Jack's and they worked at the Aberdeen Meat Works, which was like basically everyone in Aberdeen at one point in time either had a member of their family work there or they worked there. It was kind of like where it is. So Jack actually was like the manager at the time. So he like ran the shit. And I just want you to like make a mental note here that Meat Works is a big part Part of this girl's life. Now, Aberdeen is like a little rural area, kind of like where you and I grew up, Tara. And basically the relationship between Ken and Babs basically like fucking blew the roof off of this community. And everyone was talking about it. How dare she sleep with her husband's coworker? It caused quite the stir.
1: Oh, the scandal.
0: Right. So eventually they would have to flee the area to escape the scandal. So they moved to a place called Mori. I think that's how it said. Please don't at me. Or Moray. I did not write down how it was, how it sounded. I just took a note and moved on. I'm sorry, guys. None of her four sons went with her. So she was just like, bye. Uh, Like the two oldest ones stayed with Jack. And then the two younger ones went to live with one of their aunts in Sydney and as far as the story goes that's like the last we really hear of those two bye bye (laughs) so Barbara and Ken would go on to have four more children including twin girls who were born in Tenefield which was Catherine Knight and her older sister Joy they were just minutes apart they were twins and then they would have two more boys later when Catherine was four Jack Barbara's original husband he died and the two older siblings came and lived with Barbara and Ken this happened in 1959 it was said that Ken wasn't the nicest man on the planet. He was very abusive and trigger warning that would be both sexual and mental abuse and it was done completely in view of their children and it was said that Ken thought it was appropriate to rape his wife up to 10 times a day because he thought he could. Oh my god. He had the right to. Right. So this is like not happening like behind like a bedroom door. This is like physical and emotional and mental abuse being like completely displayed to these children and i'm pretty sure the sexual abuse was like out in the open too because it was saying ken took it when ken wanted it gross the vibe and this also led to babs being really inappropriate with the two girls Catherine and joy she would tell them intimate details of her sex life and she would go on to tell them that she actually hated men and hated sex which is like weird because like she had an affair right i'm like okay Catherine would later complain to her mother about like she had like one of her partners wanted her to do something like she didn't want to do. I don't know what that act was. It's left up to the imagination. Your imagination, not mine. And Barbara told her to put up with it and stop complaining. So it was really more of like this, you just take it and deal with it. But Barbara was also very physically abusive back towards Ken. Like she would fight and she would like tear him down mentally. So it wasn't just like he was abusing her and they were watching this woman like wilt her away. It was like they, I think sexually, I don't think she was like the aggressor. Because obviously she said she hated sex and men. But I have a feeling that like when situations like that happened, she fought back like verbally or physically, which I think definitely had a lot to do with Kathy love map. Mm, mm -hmm. Like later in life, but kind of at this time, Catherine would start telling people that she had been sexually assaulted by various members of her family. She made the caveat that it wasn't her father, but like for me, I'm like, he like raped his wife on the regular, but didn't assault anyone else. Very specific. And she said that this had continued up until the age of 11. And later on different family members would be like, yeah, she was sexually assaulted by like other members of the family. So I don't know if that was like older siblings or what? I have Mm -hmm. no idea. Everything is just speculation. Mm -hmm. Apart from her sister, Joy, who was her twin, there's only one person that Catherine was close to, and that was her uncle, Oscar. And he was a champion horseman, which I was like, that's so fun. Unfortunately, in 1969, he would commit suicide. But for our spooky people out there, she says that to this day, she still maintains contact with him through his ghost and that he visits her. Okay, So a little bit of paranormal in this true crime. In 1969, the family would actually... End up moving back to Aberdeen And she would attend Masuella Brook High School And at first when I read it When I read this thing I thought it said that she became a loner And was like picked on like by a bully But no that's not the statement that it was It was that she was a loner And became a bully And she would pick on like anyone who was like Smaller than her but she was really tall So that was like you know everyone So she would like pick on them And she even went as far as to harm One boy at school with a weapon Oh God, And then was once injured by a teacher who had to defend themselves in self-defense however when she wasn't being rage girl and stabbing people which when it said hurt a boy with a weapon i'm like what did she stab him with or what did she hit him with because she later you'll find she hits she hits guys it was said that Catherine was a model student she often earned awards in good behavior oh okay How does that work? I don't get it. Like I attack children one day, but the next day I'm getting like, she's an excellent student. If you're from Australia, please outline how your school system works and getting Mm. behavioral awards. (laughs) Is it like weekly? (laughs) This week you didn't stab someone. So good job. Maybe that's what it was. Maybe they're trying to like reinforce good behavior and not bad behavior. So maybe they're ahead of the curve. Well, she actually didn't stay in school very long because she would leave at the age of 15. At this point, she didn't know how to read or write. I'm assuming she learned somewhere later in life because she Mm -hmm. could read and write later so i don't know if this is just like one of those weird little anecdotal things like she didn't learn to read or write but like she probably did probably wasn't reading at like what a 15 year old should be reading at, but she did get employment and this is where the literal joy of catherine's life would come in she got a job at the local meat works place and basically it's like a slaughterhouse and when she first got there it said that she worked in like the gross room I think they said on the documentary (laughs) or the yuck room or something like that I have a feeling it had to do with like entrails and whatnot and disposal but then she moved up because 12 months after that so when she's 16 she gets the job as a cutter and basically what she does is she debones the animals so she's literally like carving them up and she gets her first set of butcher knives. And this is like her fucking prize possession. She would skin and debone animals and she was skilled enough to cut out the marrow from the bone. And okay, I was watching this documentary. It's on the sources page. It's like Catherine Knight, like psycho, blah, 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 <laughs> something like that. And the guy was like, it was nothing for people to come and watch her like, or to come watch this happen at the what? slaughterhouse. I'm like, what is going on in, the, in Aberdeen in like the fucking 60s and 70s that your biggest form of entertainment is like, let's go to the observatory deck of the slaughterhouse and watch this 16-year-old cut up a cow. I mean... I feel bad for you guys, for shizzle. (sighs) So she was very happy at her job. In fact, she was very good at her job. Very good at her job. And she was actually allowed to take her knives home because they belonged to her. And she would hang them up over her bed so that they would be handy, quote unquote, if she ever needed them. Mm. And she did this from that moment to the moment Tara is going to tell you about later. But unlike her mother, Catherine did not hate men. In fact, she loved men. And she would find, well, at least that we know of, her first love was a gentleman by the name of David Stanford Colliet. And they were co-workers and they met in 1973. So she was 18. And they actually met because Catherine's brother worked at the same Aberdeen meat works place and they were friends. And then Catherine met him. But also like fun fact, question mark, David also dated her sister Joy. So like David was really like, I think in terms of today, we might call him a fuck boy. Okay. But really more of like a party boy. And I think like he and Catherine, like when they got serious and they started having sex, like it was just like, oh, my God, like it was crazy. And they would party and drink and party and drink. And in that documentary I watched, it was funny because his mom was like, I think just one day they woke up and they were engaged. <laughs> and I'm uh, like, oh, all right. That has never happened to me. <laughs> I mean, I know it happens to people in Vegas, like where they wake up married. But like, I don't know very many people who were like, oh, my God, I woke up and I was engaged to this man. But they were, and they partied a lot, like a lot. In fact, they arrived drunk on David's motorcycle to their wedding. Mm. And as soon as they arrived, Beatle Babs pulled him aside and said, or this is what he said that she said. The old girl, meaning Babs, said to me, you better watch this one or she'll fucking kill you. Stir her up the wrong way or do the wrong thing and you're fucked. Don't ever think of playing up on her. Like, cheating on her. She'll fucking kill you. And that's what her mother was talking about. So this is like, you know, on my wedding day, my mother-in-law said something like, I'm glad you're part of my family now. (laughs) It was a beautiful ceremony. I hope you have a happy life. No, she was like, you better fucking watch your P's and Q's because she will take away your P's and Q's. And if that doesn't scream toxic relationship, I don't know what does. And it doesn't get much better their wedding night. Because according to Catherine, her mother had told her that on her wedding night to her father, they had had sex at least five to six times. Which I'm like, that's super inappropriate. Yeah. Right? Super inappropriate. I mean, it's kind of on the same par as like my mother-in-law getting mad the next day that people hung out with us in our room (laughs) the night of my wedding. And she's like, but they didn't have alone time. I'm like, lady, we've been living together for five years. (laughs) We don't need alone time. This isn't like your wedding night. (laughs) But apparently David could only arise to the occasion a couple of times maybe three times and this made her really mad. So she tried to strangle him upon which he woke up and they fought (laughs) and he left and then he came like this is the weird thing with these men. They like have this interaction that's like fucking deadly. We're not talking like oh she hit me in the back of the leg with a golf club and I left and then came back which that's inappropriate and if that's happening you should seek help and like not go back. This shit that she did was like i will fucking murder you like mm-hmm. she had hands on throat i'm like okay so the two had a very like toxic relationship and it's just like it went like that they'd get into fights it'd be very like physical and then like he would leave and then he'd come back and it was really funny because the, the narrator one of the narrators of the documentary was like why did the men come back and he's like the only answer is that she had to be good in bed <laughs> jesus i'm like oh okay that okay okay to my hat to you Catherine. <laughs> but you crazy Mm. so flash forward to May of 1976 shortly after giving birth to their first child whose name was Melissa Ann and I just like want to go back in time and hug Melissa Ann so so much but right after basically she was born David left up and fucking moved to Queensland with another woman oh and Catherine (laughs) did not take this well and he basically said look I'm leaving her she's abusive I can't take this anymore yes we have a two month old but I can't fucking handle this I get it like Mm -hmm. she's crazy day one strangled it can only go up from there, people (laughs) so after this happened it was said that the next day Catherine was seen like walking and it's called a pram which is like those old fancy looking like baby carriages which every time they said pram I kept thinking of like Gilmore Girls when like Lane is like I don't know what the word is and she's like a pram (laughs) she's like I can't be a mom I don't know what pram is (laughs) Roy's like I'm pretty sure you can be a mom without knowing what the word pram is but so she was seen pushing the pram down the road or the street but it wasn't like just like out for a walk like she was like I don't know how to describe it other than like she was thrashing it from side to side and like violently like turning and twisting it was very distressing and at one point somebody thought she was gonna just like push the baby (gasps) into traffic and so the cops were called this is like the thing about Aberdeen is like these people are like I fucking call the police So they called the police. The police came and they admitted her to St. Elmo's Hospital in Tamsworth. And she was diagnosed with postpartum depression and spent several weeks recovering. That is not postpartum depression. I mean, it kind of is. But like if she hadn't had the already crazy history of like violence, I'd have been like, yeah, that's postpartum depression. No, this was her throwing a fit that her her husband left her. So then she was released a few weeks later and she got back her baby, which I'm like, okay. And she shortly after that took Melissa to the railroad line and placed her on the track minutes before a train was due. Oh, my God. Then she stole an axe and went through the town, threatening to kill several people and, like, swinging the axe over her head. But thank goodness for a man that they called Old Ted. He was, like, a convenient shop worker. He saw the whole thing happen and ran out and got Melissa. Thank goodness. Mm -hmm. And he pulled her away. And it was, like, said, like, literally in the nick of time. Because I think by the time he got there, it was like the train was coming. Yeah. And it was just, like, only a... A couple minutes later, that the train like went by. Catherine was arrested, and because she was having an episode, they took her to St. Elmo's Hospital, which she apparently recovered miraculously the same day and signed herself out. But <laughs> didn't go so well because a few days later, she was out and about, and she was like, "I am going to get David. I'm going to go get him, and I'm going to bring him back, and then we're going to be a family." And she talked this like young woman into like you know taking her someplace, but she like slashed her in the face. And And there was this like, the woman had children. So like, basically, the woman lied and said like, one of her kids had asthma. And so this whole situation was causing him to hyperventilate. So Catherine was like, okay, get out. But then he ran to the police, and then they found them. And then she was again, institutionalized, but this time at the Morissette Psychiatric Hospital, because they basically had to like, disarm her, they had to attack her. Like, basically, they went at her with like, rooms and stuff so they admitted her so she told the nurses while she was in there that she intended to kill the mechanic who had fixed David's car because if he hadn't fixed David's car David could not have left Right here, right in this moment, just deny, release, right the fuck there. She is talking about killing people. Like, she is definitely going to hurt people. Mm -hmm. She is going to harm herself or someone else. And she said that she was basically going to get, like, her mother-in-law to take her to Queensland to get him back, and then she was going to kill both of them. Basically, when they tell David what happened, he left his girlfriend and moved back to Albertine to support his mother, who was supporting Catherine. And in the documentary, they interview his sister, and they interview his mother. David has since deceased, not because of Catherine. He had cancer, mm-hmm. and he died in, like, 2007. Otherwise, I'm pretty sure he would have been in this documentary. Probably. Like, I would have loved to hear his stories, because I'm sure these are, like, tip of the iceberg. At this point in time... It's August 9th, 1976, which is just like like the original stuff happened in May. Mm -hmm. August, that's not that far apart. David, his mother, and good old Babs drive up to go get her the day she's released. They go up to get her from this facility and Babs reaches into the car that David's driving and tries to pull him out and is basically strangling him. Like mother, like daughter. Yeah. (laughs) Catherine comes out and is like, what the fuck? And punches Babs in the head. David's mom, sweet David's mom, is in the backseat just like, what is happening? And she was so grateful that Catherine saved David because if Catherine hadn't come out, David would have died. Mm. Which I'm like, lady, why didn't you get out of the car? Right. Like, run into the facility. Get help. No, sit in the car. Mm. So then they would get back together and they would reconcile their marriage. However, Catherine would cheat on David, <laughs> which I thought was really ironic because she does not like when people cheat on her, but totally okay with the other way around. <laughs> their relationship was very violent. In fact, when they went and had their second child, David came home late from a dart throwing contest. And she literally burnt all his clothes in the bathtub Oh! and hit him over the head so hard with a frying pan mm. that it fractured his skull. Oh,
1: my God.
0: Right. But they would still reconcile, Ugh. even though he basically, he fled to a neighbor's house and collapsed. And he, like I said, was treated for his severe fractured skull. Mm. The police wanted to charge Catherine, but she changed her behavior so quickly that they were like, there's no way she did this. Oh, my God. And like he was drunk. So they're like, maybe he made this, you know. Know because I do believe I'm not a mental health professional. This woman, if there is no other disorder you could give her, is bipolar or manic depressive. The his sister was like, She had mood swings. I'm like, Mood swings? No, that's not mood swings.
1: Yeah, they later say she had borderline personality disorder. So
0: that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Isn't that what Trisha Paytas has? Yeah, but she is not violent. Mm-hmm. They would go on to have a third child in 1983. Her name was Natasha. But their marriage would not be long past that because they actually, she actually left him. Basically what she did is she he just like went to work and then came home and like all her shit was gone. She just fucking left him. Mm -hmm. And they got a divorce in 1984. She moved back to, like, because I think they had moved away from Aberdeen for a little bit to, like, get away from the stigma that was happening. And so she moved back in. I think she moved in with her parents and then rented a house that was, like, nearby. And then she returned to work at her favorite place. However, she would end up injuring her back and be put on like disability. Mm. And then because, you know, Australia doesn't hate their people, they actually helped her get like affordable housing with her disability. And so she didn't have to live with her parents and she didn't have to like rent a place, Mm -hmm. which was nice because she had children. Mm -hmm. And this actually made it very easy for her with her next boyfriend. His name is also David, but it's David Saunders. And they met in 1986. In just a few months, they moved in. He moved in with her and her daughters and he also kept his old apartment in a place called Scone which Catherine was like "Mm -mm, I do not like and made it very very obvious to him that she did not like any time he spent away. Now I get why a man who is 38 years old has his you know, life has an apartment, has a puppy, just wants to live on his own, but also with his girlfriend. And take into account that they'd only been dating a couple of months. That's not a long time to like. Right. Give up your security. Also, what if he had a lease? True, true. What if his lease was like, he signed, let's say he signed a two-year lease or something. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I can't get out of it. So I've been there. But everything would make her jealous. And she would like throw him out. And then he'd go back to his place and be like, whatever. And then she would be like, no, come back. I love you. Be with me again. And he would come back. And then they would have this like, it was basically that was the pattern. And so it'd be like, she'd be fine. And then she'd rage. And she'd be fine. And she'd rage. And... Imagine those girls, like, growing up watching this. It must have been crazy. Well, this went on for about a year. And then in May, which apparently May is just not her month of 1987, her and David, this David, David Saunders, got into a fight. And he came home after the fight to, like, see if everything was okay. And he walked into the kitchen and he thought she was, like, feeding slash with a bottle nursing his little puppy. His little dingo puppy. Is what they call it. And that was not the case. She had actually, trigger warning, animal abuse. She had cut the puppy's throat and the puppy was bleeding out in front of David. And then to make the whole thing, because mind you, thinks she thinks he's having an affair, this is why he's doing this, and because she's quote unquote cranky, she then hits him in the back of the head with the frying pan, knocking him unconscious. So, like he walks in, he sees his puppy dying, she hits him in the head. I don't know about you, but I don't. Fucking trust people who hurt animals.
1: Right? Like, no fucking thanks. Goodbye. Forever. No.
0: I mean, I understand, like, if someone squashes a spider, because, like, I don't like spiders. I've been bit by spiders, so I get it. That's different, though. Right. So, I don't know. Like, don't hurt things. Mm-hmm. Anyway, they didn't break up like a normal fucking person would, because she actually would give birth in June of 1988 to a daughter named Sarah, and it was David's child. David would put a deposit down on a house. That's the rational thought. The year before, kills my puppy. This year, buy a house. Check, check. And then eventually they would end up paying that off because she got like a payout from workers comp. So I think it like became her house and Catherine decorated the house with animal skins, skulls, horns, rusty farm traps, leather jackets, old boots, machetes, rakes, picks, forks. It basically when she ran out of room, she started hanging shit on the ceiling. So like nothing was uncovered after an argument, which she hit Saunders in the face with an iron before stabbing him in the stomach with a pair of scissors like this was the last straw for him he's like fuck it i'm out Mm -hmm. which is super interesting because there's a pattern with her she gets in these relationships it gets violent she has children they stay it gets violent then there's just like this one last fucking thing that they're just like i'm done and mind you i guess when i don't mean to laugh this is not funny but like when she was hitting because it was like an iron like you iron your clothes when she was coming at him she was like holding his arm and he just kept like swinging around like he kept turning which I was like super smart because she couldn't hit him because every time she'd go to hit him he was like turned around but I was like Catherine is stupid because just go the other way (laughs) because the way the lady was like describing it was like he just spun around I'm like does she like not get the okay but she would also stab him in the stomach and he basically would like leave her And then when he decided, because he still had his apartment in Scone back then, he came back to, like, make amends. I think probably because of Sarah. That was my thought. (laughs) He came home and found out that she had cut up all his clothes. So I'm like, oh, she's got that pattern down. Yeah. At this point in time, when he came back... She basically said that she was afraid of him and got like a protective order. But then they were like, no, never mind, whatever. And David basically came back in her life for a little bit longer. But then he pulled a Catherine and just straight fucking moved and was like, bye. And she got pissed. But it was like, whatever. She eventually got over it. Then she would meet a man around 1990 by the name of John Chillingworth. And he was 43. 43. He also worked at the meat place. She likes her meatmen. <laughs> And they would... And in like 1991, she would end up giving birth to a baby named Eric. And their relationship didn't last very long. It only lasted like three years. And I really get the feeling that this John was a placeholder in her life. Like she has abandonment issues for fucking sure. So I think she was just like, I'm going to stay with him until I find my next person. And they had a violent, crazy relationship. But like nothing was ever really like told about it. I think he just kind of took it. But... A lot of the time that she was with John Chillingsworth, she was having an affair with a man by the name of John Price, which I guess would make it easy if you're, you know, she has the pattern. It's David, David, John, John. (laughs) Can't fuck up their names because it's the same. (laughs) Right? (laughs) (laughs) Can just carry the rage on, you know, (laughs) angry. So John Charles Thomas Price, or as he was known as Pricey, which I thought was cute. I was Mm -hmm. like, that's an adorable nickname. Was born April 4th, 1953. He was a father of three already when he met Catherine and and his marriage had ended like a few years prior like so he wasn't actually like cheating on anyone she was the one having the affair Mm -hmm. and his two older children lived with him and their youngest with his wife lived with her because she was like a toddler like two he had older daughters as well Catherine and John had met in 1993 and they like kind of moved in with each other it was like that like my stuff is at your house kind of stuff not actually like we live together but like 50% of my stuff is at your house 50% of the stuff is at my house because john was apprehensive about having her live there and his daughters are on that documentary as well and they actually were like you know we liked her like she was crazy but we liked her and one of his daughters was like she was both good for my dad and bad for my dad so i think they like in between the crazy they probably had a good relationship Mm -hmm. a few years later in 1998 Catherine was like hey pricey we should get married And he was like, no, thank you. was basically what it was. Like, I don't want to marry you. Mm -hmm. And then from there on, she just went shit crazy. It's so fucked up. Like, there were these, like, little first aid kits, which probably didn't cost the company more than $20, if that. And it was, like, he took it home. And I don't even know if he took it home to, like, keep it or if he just, like, happened to take it home with him and just hadn't brought it back. Like, I don't know the things. He'd worked there for, like, 17 years or some shit. So, like, I don't think it's, like, that big of a deal. Though you shouldn't take things from your employer, like... Mm -hmm. Always check. But what she did is she went and videotaped that he had all of this stuff and said that he had purposely stolen it. And then she sent the videotape to the bosses, which meant John had to get fired for like a $20 fucking kit that they probably could have just asked him to return. Right. But she made it seem like he had purposely stolen it. Ugh. And I think also because of the allegation she made against him, they had no choice, you know. That same day, she would kick him out, and she went and spread word around town. And people, like, they interviewed, like, her neighbor, and her neighbor's like, why would you do that? Right. (laughs) And she's like, I don't know, because I can. And it's just like thinking like, how could you do this to this man? Mm -hmm. Well, over the next few years, the assaults got like pretty crazy, including one time she stabbed him in the chest in February of 2000. So over the next few years, they would have these like crazy like fights and everything like that. And even at one point in time, Catherine decided to take the psychological fight to his kids and sat one of the daughters down and basically was like, I just want to let you know that like John isn't your dad. That your mom was sleeping around and John isn't your dad, which was like, this girl was like 13. Mm. She's like, what the fuck? But things would escalate pretty quickly in the year 2000. Early in February there was a series of assaults that happened against Pricey from Catherine including that she had stabbed him in the chest and he was finally fed up and kicked her out of his house. Mm -hmm. But on February 29th of 2000, he actually told his boss like, hey, I have to like go to court. I have to get like this restraining order put on her to keep myself and my children safe. And when he went to the court, they were like, it's gonna take three weeks. So he basically went out that afternoon hung out with some co-workers just like chilled and was just like he went home really late but that day he had told his co-workers listen if i don't come to work tomorrow she's killed me and he went back to his house but he went over to a neighbor's and stayed there till about 11 when he was gonna go to bed and then he went back over to his house which now i'm going to hand it to tara yes
1: so, yeah, so Catherine actually ended up coming back to the house after he was asleep, and it was said she either came and, like, watched TV for a minute or ate did something, because I read, like, different things. She came home and did something. <laughs> but moral of the story is she went up to the room and woke him up, and they fucked. So then after that, they went back to sleep. Well, as we know, Catherine likes to keep her knives handy-dandy, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, that'll come into play here in a moment. So, next morning, let's jump to that before I tell y'all all the tea on what happened. John's coworkers, you know, they realized Pricely wasn't coming to work, like, he wasn't there and so his boss is like oh fuck remember what he told us yesterday so like you know so and so you need to like go to his house see if he's there see if he's okay well when he did that the neighbor was also kind of like up and about and saw that john's car was in the driveway and it was after 6 and that's when his shift started so he's like oh fuck so the coworker and the neighbor they went over there and they like knocked on the door and they're like you know are you home blah 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 and they noticed there is blood on the mail slot which they did the smart thing they called authorities immediately, and there were two police officers who would respond to this, and they'd get there about 8 a.m.-ish, and one of them was Detective Sergeant Bob Wells. They said, you know, that they saw his car in the driveway, they... Started with, like, knocking on the door, but no answer. And, you know, they looked through the mail slot to see if they could see in. They saw the blood, too, of course. And they described seeing what they thought was a curtain or blanket. But it was blocking the way from seeing anything else. So when they did see the blood, they decided to go around back. Because there was, like, a back door they could, you know, kick in or whatever and enter the home. So they did. And when they entered, they go towards the kitchen, whatnot, where this curtain blanket was, and one of the officers kind of brushed his arm against it to essentially move it out of the way, and he said he felt a coldness on his arm, and when he looked down, he saw it was covered in blood. They had just broken into the house, so at first he thought, like, oh, maybe I scratched my arm and just didn't feel it, because I'm on high alert and, you know, adrenaline, trying to pay attention, you know, that kind of thing. He's like, but then when I started looking at my arm, there was no wound. So, he looked at said curtain again and this is when the officers realized it was not a curtain, it was not a blanket, it was literally human skin hanging up what they described to be like a pelt. And this skin was hanging off of butcher hooks in like one of the doorways. Obviously, they're completely horrified already. So on top of that, they see a headless torso on the ground. I also read she moved either, I don't think it was the torso, I'm assuming it was the lower part of the body because like, no spoilers, like, I'll explain Explain more of this later but articles are a little limited with this case but anyways that's why i'm telling you guys like all the different shit i found anyway there was some reports saying that i'm assuming like i said the lower half of his torso she had moved that to his favorite chair in the lounge room or living room and she crossed the legs over and there was like a bottle of soda with it like what the fuck
0: oh Catherine, you crazy bitch yes so yeah there's that
1: Oh, God. It's going to get worse, guys, though. It's going to get worse. So they see all this. Obviously, they're like, <laughs> holy fucking shit. And there is blood every fucking where on the walls, on the floors, on the door, all of that. And I will get into that in a minute because it kind of helped them piece things together. So they go into the kitchen and it looks pretty normal. Looks like a normal kitchen. It actually looks like someone was preparing dinner. There was utensils out. There was a table set with nameplates. There was gravy, baked potatoes, pumpkin, beetroot, zucchini, cabbage, squash, and steak cooked, or what they thought was steak. And with all of that, they noticed there was a pot still boiling on the stove. And at this point, they kind of just like looked at each other and were like, I bet we can fucking guess what's in there. It was John's head. (sighs) So... From there they are like holy fucking shit like one of the docs I watched they had the officers who responded to this in there and, oh my god I just wanted to hug them because they were like <laughs> valid fucking like still so torn up about this so many years later you know because oh my god how can you recover from that but they were basically like this was literally like a horror movie something you would not expect to see in real life like yes there are cops and stuff but holy shit who the fuck plans for that to happen nobody like oh my god especially in like a rural little town right exactly so they start clearing the house obviously because like they don't know if there's any other victims if because they don't know it's Catherine, obviously but who did this is hiding waiting to attack them what have you so they go you know they go upstairs or whatever and they hear snoring they find Catherine in bed just pass the fuck out she isn't waking up or responding to them so they take I don't know why they did Maybe they thought it was safer outside, but they took her to the
0: backyard and just like laid her on the grass. (laughs) I thought that was like a weird, it was a weird thing. I was like, I don't, I don't get it. Why, like... Cool. I mean, I guess if they thought maybe someone else was in the house with them.
1: Yeah, that's what I was thinking, too. Yeah. So, yeah, they took her outside. They called an ambulance. What they also saw in the backyard was said dinner that was in the kitchen. There was also a plate of it out by the dog. So you can do what you want with that. But a little spoiler in case you're wondering, like, why the fuck she just passed the fuck out. She took a bunch of pills and different sleeping medications, like, after this crime, apparently, because, like, obviously, if Catherine was innocent, why would we have talked about her for the past, like you know, X amount of
0: minutes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So they get more people there, obviously, and to look at the scene and they start looking at like the blood spatter and everything through the house to try to piece things together because they take Catherine to the hospital and they're like, yeah, homegirl's gonna be in a coma. Like she is out for the count. So we got some time to try to see what the fuck. And basically like, I feel like the easiest way to do it is kind of like do a side-by-side of like what happened and what led them to that as far as like the blood patterns and stuff goes. So, okay, after the restraining order and stuff, like I said, Catherine came back home, they fucked all that, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, after he goes back to sleep, what does she do? She grabs her handy-dandy bedtime butcher knife next to her fucking bed, and she attacks John, who's asleep, and she stabs him 37 times. And now, I'm going to reference the blood spatter a lot, and that's because Catherine doesn't really like to talk about details. So, you know, authorities have had to piece things together, essentially, for the most part. So, from the blood spatter patterns, they were able to conclude that once she started stabbing him in the bed John attempted to get up and obviously get the fuck away from her and they found blood on the light switch like he was trying to turn it on or at least get out the door type of thing and from there in their hallway there was big blood smears all down the hallway and as they were getting closer to like you know going to like the main area in the living room and front door and stuff like the smears were getting lower and bigger so he was bleeding out and losing strength is what they thought. And then he actually, what's so sad is, like, he actually gets to the front door. Like I mentioned earlier, there's blood on, like, they saw it when they looked through the mail slot and all that shit. But he actually got to the front door, and by the front door, there was a puddle and then smear marks where she had obviously dragged him, and she dragged him to that lounge room, right? And in the lounge room, there was big, big puddles of blood and whatnot. So they were like, okay, this is where she, like, you know, dismembered him skinned him whatever else she did and you can also see drip marks so like that also confirmed she took the head and carried that into the kitchen like there was drips and then also she took out five pieces from his backside and uh yeah that was the steaks or what they thought was steaks and when they looked at all of the like utensils and stuff in there they found bloody handprints on it like on the knives and there was like a pitcher and things like that, and the table was set, and there was name plates. and those were reserved for John's children on them. Now, like I mentioned, Catherine was in a coma for several days. They would finally be able to talk with her five days after his death. And the authorities said they did a really lengthy interview, but it was pretty much pointless because they got nothing from that. She conveniently said she couldn't remember anything at all, that, you know, she had no clue what happened, blah, 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 Misha. And the thing they thought was weird was she accepted that she did kill John. She didn't try to protest at all. She was just like, okay, Yeah, makes sense type of thing. And they're just like, okay. And like I said, stuff is limited on this. But apparently at first, like not a lot of people knew. And I was kind of like, what the fuck? Probably because we're like American. If this had happened here, it would have been fucking everywhere. We would have fucking known about it. You know what I mean? Right. So... Apparently, what had happened was the, like, main reporter on this, he actually had morals. Not saying reporters don't, but I'm just saying, like, he wanted to protect the public. Basically, he was like, this is too horrific. This is too graphic. This is too much. So the piece he was going to do, he decided not to do it, basically. So, you know, out of, like, respect for John and his family. So obviously, Catherine's full of shit. They knew that. She would be charged for John's murder. And also, interesting fact, after she murdered him, she took a shower, which we've seen this in quite a bit of, like, horrific crimes. She took a shower, put clean clothes on, took his wallet, went to an ATM and withdrew $1,000, and this was at, like, midnight. So, like, she killed him shortly after he got home, basically. I don't know if she skinned him and whatnot then and maybe came back. I don't know what the the timeline with that is, but, like, she took out a $1,000, and police have never found this money, and they tried to get it out of her to, like, ask her about it, and she's just like, what? What money? I don't know. I don't remember. Blah, 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 you know? So, just weird. Just weird. But, you know, she just went and did whatever. Who knows? Now, Catherine's team, as far as when they went to court, is this is kind of interesting. So she was going to offer to plead guilty to manslaughter, but the courts were like, "No, no, no, fuck you." And she was arraigned on March second, two thousand one, on the charge of murdering Pricey. and she entered a not guilty plea. And her trial was supposed to start on July twenty third of two thousand and one, but apparently her lawyer was like sick or something, so they. Put they. pushed it back to October 15th of 2001. And when they had the trial going on, the judge there was Justice Barry O'Keefe. They had essentially gotten like 60 people. They were, I want to say drafting, you know, leaving for jury selection, right? I like drafting. It sounds a little bit more like... No, I'm like, I don't know what the fuck's wrong with me today. Drafting for the jury. That's what we'll go with now. That's new. Here you go. They, they had 60 people. And basically because this is such a fucking horrific crime, they're like, if you need to excuse yourself, like, please do. And only five people did that. Only five people were like, K okay, bye. So I was like, okay, well.
0: <laughs> they weren't feeling very like doing their civic duty that day.
1: When the witness list was read out. A bunch more had to leave. And it said after that, it left the jury impaneled. They just didn't have enough people. And then attorneys talk to the judge, and then they adjourn to the following day, and then they come back to court. And uh, Catherine's like, Oh, just kidding. I want to plead guilty. And this judge is like, Excuse me, what the fuck? What do you think you're trying to do? Basically, this will come into play in a second. So, because she did this, the jury was dismissed. And after this, he decided to order a psychiatric assessment for her to see if she could, you know, stand trial and understand. And the consequences of switching her plea to guilty and all of that stuff. And basically, her defense lawyer was being like, you know, they were going to play up the amnesia and say she had dissociation with all of this going on. So she wasn't in a right mind, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. Which, like, you know, psychiatrists are like, if that's legit, okay, yeah, that's legit, but we're going to check. And, you know, basically her switching her plea like this is like long game for an appeal later on to be like, no, I was not in my right state of mind when I pled guilty. So blah, blah, blah. But she did get deemed sane. She was seen by two different psychiatrists for that. And then, like I mentioned earlier, this is when they had diagnosed her with borderline personality disorder.
0: Makes sense.
1: Yes. And that whole like thing with the guilty plea is obviously speculation, but that's what most people assume. And that's what I agree. That's she knows what the fuck she's doing with being a toxic, crazy bitch. Like just saying. Right. So I agreed with that. And even though she was going to plead guilty and stuff, she was like, no, 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 I'm not responsible for this. It's I just need to be let go. It's fine. Not, you know, whatever. And then at her sentencing, her lawyer actually had the fucking nerve to be like, can Catherine be excused to avoid hearing some of the facts from this case?
0: Bitch, you were there. You did it. Well, it's setting up that whole like amnesia, mm-hmm. didn't know what I was doing. Mm-hmm. The fact that she had to be like removed from the court because it was too much. He's very good. He's a very good lawyer.
1: Oh, the judge was like, fuck you. No, she's staying.
0: <laughs> right. No, I mean, the judge was like, I call bullshit. But like if uh-huh. he hadn't even tried, like he's also playing a long game.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And it continues because like once they started talking about the crime scene and the decapitation and the skinning, like all of that stuff, Catherine decided to start acting out like she started screaming. She started like throwing a fit in articles. They were like she became, quote, hysterical. It was so bad they literally had to sedate her, which in my opinion, again, it's her trying to set up this groundwork for later on. But on November 8th, Justice O'Keefe pointed out that the nature of the crime and her lack of remorse required a severe penalty. He sentenced her to life in prison without the possibility of parole, and her paperwork would actually be marked, quote, never to be released. Damn. Right? It's like, he ain't letting you get shit. Fuck off. And so, Catherine was actually the very first woman to get a life without parole sentencing in Australia
0: history. I mean, that's saying something because us Australia- Australia was founded on criminals, it's like where the British Empire sent their criminals. Right, that says a lot. Yeah.
1: Now, in 2006, in June 2006, of course, she tried to get an appeal, claiming that life in prison without possibility parole was too severe for the crime she committed. She
0: murdered a man.
1: She didn't just murder a man. It's not like she just went stabby stabbed the end. She stabby stabbed 37 times, skinned him, decapitated him, put pieces of his body other places. Was gonna try to feed him to his fucking kids like Catherine no honey no
0: I'm just really like it that's ballsy like that's Like, the (laughs) cojones on this woman is just like, you know what? I think this is how I'm going to go. Not like I'm insane. No, I just, I don't think what I did was that wrong. Like, I should be let out. Yeah, right. Promise not to do it again. (laughs) What world do
1: you live in? Jesus Christ. So there was two justices that looked at this. Or no, three. Peter McLennan, Michael Adams, and Megan Latham. They obviously were like, no, bitch. They declined this. And Justice McLennan wrote in his judgment, Quote, this is an appalling crime, almost beyond contemplation in a civilized society, end quote, aka the professional way to say, fuck no, bitch, goodbye. So, what has little Miss fucking Catherine been up to since? Well, she has found God. Of course. Her religion. Of course. This is fucking, what's her name all over again? Jesus. Carla Faye Tucker. Yes, thank you. I'm like, I can't remember her name right now. She also likes to paint and knit. And she is known as the Queen Bee among the other prisoners. And she is said to be with other convicted murderers, quote, baby killers and drug dealers.
0: I mean... Let's be real here. If you're sitting in prison and you're looking at her and you're like, yeah, but she carved up a dude and tried to feed him to someone. I am fucking with that shit. Uh -uh. It's a whole other level of energy of crazy.
1: Yeah, no. Um, And apparently it's said that police officers keep an eye on her like literally at all times. She's not allowed near any knives. Good. (laughs) And she can't even have a cellmate because they're worried she'll kill them.
0: (laughs) I mean, well, this is valid because she's tried to kill multiple people she's also like she tried to strangle her first husband or her Mm -hmm. only husband you know Mm -hmm. she crazy she cuckoo for cocoa puffs
1: yes and there is actually a book out about her and everything it is called green is the new black by James Phelps and they pulled some excerpts from an article so I'm gonna kind of this is talking about like her in prison now so I'm gonna read through it this will be on the sources page too if you want to check it out so it said a typical day for night starts at 7 a.m. every morning when she wakes up to go to one of the most tedious jobs in prison. She makes headphones, that's her job. She's stuck in a factory every day from 8am to 1pm making headphones on a big loud machine. Knight is said to be one of the best workers in the headphone factory and commands the top wage. She gets through more work than anyone. She enjoys her job and takes pride in what she does. Four guards flank her. They watch her every move and are with her every day. After Knight finishes off her day at the headphone factory, she eats lunch before retiring to herself so you know that's what she's doing (laughs) and it says that in her cell she has a bed clothes, and the centerpiece of her room is a big old table that she uses for her crafts and her art that she does and she also likes to sit at the table and write
0: letters i just like part of me is really concerned that they let her knit right like they're
1: sharp they're (laughs) knitting needles like what
0: I was, like, at first, like, that passed me by, but then I'm, like, looking at my crochet hooks, and I'm, like, I could stab someone with that, like, with enough force. This woman, I mean, get that she's older now, but, like, she got nothing but time. Yeah. She ain't getting out. Right?
1: And apparently, like, her cell is very cluttered. It said she has, quote, shit everywhere. Um, (laughs) And basically anything she's given, she keeps type of thing. But, like, not many people come into her room, probably because they're scared of her. But they try to make it, like, she's so private. It. And I'm like, mm, it's probably because no one wants to be around her. And no surprise, but friends don't visit her, you know. like was anybody surprised about that no so yeah that is what she's doing these days i guess she's still alive from my understanding so i didn't see a a death date or anything so she's just chilling in prison she's alive making headphones and knitting i'm
0: over here like what (laughs) headphones does she make like have i owned a pair of headphones this woman has made i hope not (laughs) because i've owned a lot of headphones in my life right (laughs) it's like is this why beats by dre is so expensive (laughs) oh my god (laughs)
1: Oh, but anyway, so that is going to go ahead and wrap us up for today. We hope we didn't scar you too much with this case. It is very disturbing and it makes me really sad for Pricey and their kids and everything because I'm sure they've went through it once this actually got public. You know, it's, it's heartbreaking for sure. But we will go ahead and see you guys on Thursday. Bye. Bye.